Governor Kemp, Stacey Abrams, meet Shane Hazel. For Mr. The, Hazel, we've got to move we're on. We're not going to be excluded from this. I'm we're not gonna, excluding you. You're going to take money well, and property from my, people that don't even attend your schools because Mr. they Thar, don't Mr. agree. Hazel. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just tuning into us for the first time, welcome. And we invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. So peek behind the curtains of the inner workings of Politically Georgia podcast. We are here at the GPB studios just minutes after the first of two debates between Governor Kemp, Stacey Abrams, and in this case, Shane Hazel, the Libertarian, uh, we just finished and we're, uh, we're, we're fresh off the, uh, the afterglow of that debate. And I was on the stage, Patricia, what, what it seemed like from, uh, from on TV. So while you were serving as a moderator, I was serving as one of 50 reporters in the press room watching it on TV, but it was, I was amazed at frankly, how much press interest there was. There was a lot of network press coverage. Uh, This is a debate and a race, just like the U.S. Senate debate here in Georgia, that's getting an enormous amount of national attention. And you could really feel it in the room. So how was it for you to be a moderator on this debate? Well, I've got to moderate a lot of different debates, but this one was very unique. And the reason why is two words, Shane Hazel. He, um, He interjected, he interrupted, he tried to make himself a force in this debate, even though he was getting lots of questions. That was the yeah. strange thing. It wasn't like we were, we were skipping him or bypassing him. He, anyway, he tried to uh, spoil the debate, I guess you could say. Yeah, I did uh, tweet afterward. He was a little belligerent. It's really the only word you can use for Shane Hazel tonight. He was getting a lot of questions. He had a, you know, a full equal standing on that debate stage. He really would not let Donna Lowry, the moderator, the main moderator, move the questions along. He kept calling Stacey Abrams Stacey, while Governor Kemp was calling Stacey Abrams Ms. Abrams, you know, being a lot more respectful. I think even Stacey Abrams got a bit flustered at Shane Hazel's demeanor because she had interrupted Kemp at one point and then went back to apologize for interrupting Kemp and saying, listen, I did not mean to interrupt you. This is just a very, very important policy debate that we're having. And so I felt like that was, um, I don't know that she really needed to do that, but it was certainly, it was an otherwise very substantive and very respectful debate between Kemp and Abrams. Shane Hazel was sort of on his own island of um, I don't know, attention seeking, what else can we call it? And he's only polling at about 1% in this race and compare that to Chase Oliver, who has a totally different demeanor. Yeah. He's the libertarian in that Senate race and polling, um, getting quite a bit more support. Um, maybe, well, well, we'll see how it ends. Yeah. Night and day. I was thinking the same thing night and day because I watched the Senate debate on Sunday night and compared, uh, to Chase Oliver libertarian, who, as you mentioned, he's getting a lot of third party support. He might be getting a lot of Republican support, too, from Republicans who, for whatever reason, aren't voting for Herschel Walker. Uh, Shane Hazel went out at a very, um, I think the best word might be belligerent, aggressive. Very aggressive and demanding to be asked questions. But he was being asked questions. Yeah. And he's like, don't not ask the libertarian a question. We're like, the libertarian is currently speaking and between the two major party candidates and really on full equal footing. So he certainly did get. Uh, the lion's share of the debate he was seeking. So congratulations. We will dive all into the rest of the debate, including the significant policy topics that came up over that hour-long Atlanta Press Club showdown. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. So, Patricia, let's talk from the get-go. One of the things that we as debate panelists and our moderator, Donna Lowry, we wanted to make sure we addressed were the main topics that are driving the discussion around the governor's race, the economy, abortion, guns, voting rights, access, crime, criminal justice, right? I do feel like y'all really covered the main issues that any, if anybody out there is a voter looking for more information about these two candidates, those are really the big buckets of issues that those candidates are focusing on and that we know that Georgians are focusing on. So I feel like that was a a good issue set that y'all pulled out. Yeah. And so um, right to it, one of the first questions that Governor Kemp asked was, I asked him about the recent recordings that came out that surfaced from basically from activists, from folks pretending to be supporters who secretly recorded him. And he was asked two questions over the last few weeks. One was whether he supported banning Plan B, the emergency contraceptive, and he signaled he was open to it. He was kind of like, yeah, um, you know, that, that could be something we look at. And he was also asked about supporting a ban on destroying embryos which would have all sorts of ramifications. And that quite, there was a different recording, but he also kind of signaled that he was open to it. So I asked him point blank, you're here right now. What do you say about that policy? No, I would not. I mean, look, we were at many campaign events, people come up, secret recordings, couldn't completely understand the conversation that's going on, but no, that's not my desire to do that. Georgians should know that my desire is to continue to help them fight through 40 year high inflation and high gas prices and other things that our Georgia families are facing right now. So you can hear, Patricia, he was unequivocal in that he's, he wasn't supporting either of those and that he did not endorse any further in abortion restrictions now that his 2019 anti-abortion law is now in effect. Yes, and I think it's very important for Kemp to not just signal, but to state unequivocally, my work here is done on abortion restrictions because Democrats, and not just Democrats, I think women writ large couples have a lot of concerns about that six-week abortion ban because other bans around the country are going after um, embryos, are banning embryo destruction. What the context that that's talking about is IVF, in vitro fertilization, at the end of somebody's uh, sort of IVF cycle, typically there are embryos that are left over and the choices, do you want to save those? Do you want to have those go to science for research or do you want to destroy those? I mean, that's the, these really difficult questions that couples tend to wrestle with. But there are other states around the country that are 
banning that decision altogether. And so you understand where these concerns are coming from. You understand where the question came from, but he made it very clear and unequivocal that he wouldn't have any plans for that. Now, there may be some Republican lawmakers who have some plans for that kind of legislation, but I think it's important for Kemp to start to draw the line of how far he won't go in these abortion bans because it's already as restrictive as we've ever seen really in the modern era here in Georgia. And so uh, Democrats are able to lodge all kinds of accusations against the Republicans for all the unknowns in this abortion law, for how it could have a number of consequences, both intended and unintended. And IVF is a huge area of anxiety for a number of Georgians who are trying to evaluate the reality of this law. And so I think it was important for him to at least get his own position, his professional position out on that and say, no, that's not an area that I'm going to be going forward in. We also wanted to very upfront and quickly ask Stacey Abrams about something that she said on the campaign trip. We wanted a broader audience to to listen to her response to this because not everyone you know gets to accompany us to the campaign trail. I, I noted that in 2018, she didn't concede defeat to Governor Kemp and, and she talked of all sorts of systemic problems with the state's election. This election, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote? And you stand by your use of words like rigged four years ago to describe the state's election system. Here's what she said. In 2018, I began my speech on November 16th, acknowledging that Governor Kemp had won the election. I then proceeded to lay out in grave detail the challenges faced by voters under his leadership as Secretary of State, including the 10 plus two who were arrested in Quitman, Georgia, because they had the temerity to use absentee ballots. I told the story of students who were denied access to the right to vote, even though they had duly registered. 80,000 complaints had come in by that day, and it took four years of federal investigation in a lawsuit that was the longest running voting rights lawsuit in the state's history, in recent history, that proved us right. Now, Patricia, I was ready for a follow-up question because at first I didn't hear her answer one, a key part of my query, which was, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote? But I wrote down on my paper, always acknowledge the outcome. So to me, that was signaling that she would accept the outcome. But I, I, as I've seen on social media afterwards, there are a number of people, including probably Governor Kemp's supporters, who say that she did not go as far as committing to accept it rather than she's saying she would acknowledge the outcome. So, you know, she, well, she said <laughs> even she said she would acknowledge all outcomes, you know, all kind of legal outcomes. So she didn't say yes, in three weeks time, I will acknowledge the outcome of that election. Now, it didn't sound to to my ear, just sitting there, it didn't sound to me like she was saying she would not acknowledge the outcome, but it might've been too generic of an answer to be an absolute yes or no about that specific election. So I think that probably will require some follow-up questioning to the Abrams campaign to say, what exactly did she mean to say there? Because it really, it was a uh, a bit generic. So is that a yes or no in three weeks? Yeah. Chuck Williams from WRBL opened with a cutting question at Stacey Abrams, asking her essentially, your policies might be popular. And look, we've seen that in some polls, but you aren't, you are, you're trailing in the polls. And she gave an answer we've heard before, but a, uh, a more elaborate answer than maybe a lot of folks out there have, have listened to. What I 
I thought was so interesting about her answer is that she said, uh, well, first of all, people agree with me on these issues because I'm on the right side of history and I'm on the right side of the issues. And by the way, I don't acknowledge that I'm behind. And she maintains this up and down, does not believe that the polls are capturing the people who are going to come out for her. And so she won't acknowledge that premise. She won't say, okay, well, here's why I'm behind. You know, here's why people don't like me. You know, that's not an area that she is entertaining in her campaign. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see who comes out for Stacey Abrams. But it's just not a space that she is willing to entertain. And it does track if you are you are with voters on the major issues that are driving these decisions, uh, then those voters will be with you. I would say we talked so much about the economy also in this debate. And I think that that's one area where Kemp is stronger, does have more public opinion with him. And so uh, while we saw Abrams talking about, you know, she has kind of an entire buffet of issues that she talks about from abortion to gun safety to veterans health care, Medicaid expansion, access to education, access to uh, or improving efforts to combat learning loss, just sort of issue after issue after issue. For Kemp, it's the economy. Bam. You know, and so he uh, talks about the economy and talks about his own decision to reopen Georgia and allow Georgia businesses to open. And he went back to that over COVID over. decision over and over and over. And I think that he believes that's the strongest area of contrast where people can see this is what Kemp did and this is what Stacey Abrams would have done because at the time Abrams was quite vocal that she would not open the economy when Kemp was opening the economy. So that that is sort of like you can see, you rarely get to see the road not taken. You rarely get to see the governor you chose and the woman who did not end up being governor here in the exact same moment, here's what they would do on this crucial, crucial decision about reopening during COVID. Um, Kemp said, this is what saved our economy. It's why we have the strongest economy in the nation. And Abrams even challenged him though and said, hey, we had thousands and thousands of Georgians die who did not have to. And so she's really trying to stop his line on the decision to reopen Mm -hmm. COVID as a total success. She's saying, wait a minute, there was a cost to that economic success and this is what it was. You know, it's interesting because Governor Kemp's strategy was not Biden, Biden, Biden. You know, I didn't hear Biden's name much. I didn't count because <laughs> I was mm. trying to figure out. Did we hear it at all? I don't know that we heard it much, if if, if at all. Um, our producer, Shaney B., who strikes a somewhat resemblance to, to... Shane, could you do a shift S on that, please? Yes, a shift later F. later on. <laughs> Control that? Control yes. that. Yes. <laughs> a quick a, a story about Shane, or Shaney B., our, our uh, amazing podcast producer he comes down into like the makeup room as we're all getting ready and introduce himself i'm shane everyone says hi um it leaves and one of the producers comes in like a few minutes later of the, the debate producer and says shane's here <laughs> shane hazel's here the libertarian candidate and i, I was like wait really it's early this is like two hours before no, shane, shane hazel's here I, we just saw he's, he was just in the makeup room i said that's Shaney B. Shane, did someone folks. try to put makeup on you? I was interrupting everybody <laughs> in the makeup room, and so I could see how I got confused. I didn't know how you got your down there. You talked your way down to the makeup room in the green room. Ah, you know, I know how to get by. Well, we didn't hear much about Biden. I think the, I, I know the governor's strategy going into this was to kind of do no harm. He wasn't trying to, I mean, obviously he, he wanted to make his points, but his internal polls reflect the public polls which show him up. So he didn't try to have to make up huge ground. He didn't really come in here with a mission other than make it through it, make his points, get some stuff for social media. Whereas Stacey Abrams, 
she had a number of points to make. And I think that's where Shane Hazel hurt because mm-hmm. she, I, I haven't seen the breakdown of time, but Shane Hazel's constant interruptions and constant attempts to really just throw <sighs> a wrench into the debate may, meant that we heard a lot from both candidates. And look, he's a third party candidate. He's on the ballot. We get it. Um, at the Atlanta Press Club, the Lotto Milk Series, they are intent on allowing third-party candidates. So we've had debates with literally 20 candidates before, divided into two or three segments. But there is a um, there is an after effect, right? That means that you're you're going to hear a little bit less from Governor Camp and Stacey Abrams in debates like that. Well, I think especially in this particular situation, it sort of kind of stopped progress again and again and again uh, because Donna Lowry would try to move on to another question, try to move on to ask Stacey Abrams another question, and Shane Hazel would not stop talking. He's like, hold on, I'm not done. Hold on. You need to let the libertarian make their point. Blah, blah. You know, so I think it, it sort of just stopped the flow of that debate again and again and again. And you did see it sort of put Stacey Abrams in just a little bit of an awkward situation, not the least of which is because he kept calling her by her first name, which I just thought was extremely disrespectful just as a woman. I'm like, you need to, you need to address her, but you know, both candidates, the two candidates, Abrams and Kemp were extremely respectful to each other, which I think was very appropriate and set the right tone. And then the the Hazel component just got it a little off the rails several yeah. times. That's when we might need a mute button for the mic. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders who write the morning jolt every night and every morning. We think the morning jolt newsletter sets the stakes on the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now, this very moment, by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts in your first month of unlimited digital access. It's just 99 cents. That's subscribe that AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, this was a lot. And it's still, you know, we're just minutes after the debate. So I'm still kind of compressing. Wrapping your head around it. Yeah, because I didn't mm-hmm. have a computer to take notes. I, I have my chicken scratch right here. And you oh can see God. in the terribly, I have two things written at the bottom. One is a list of topics we know we wanted to hit. Abortion, economy, education, voting rights, guns, crime. We got it. Done. The other one says Shane Hazel is the only one who can unite Kemp and Abrams. So, <laughs> so I guess I wrote that at some Ain't point that the in, during the debate because, you know, when you're a, when you're a panelist, you're kind of sitting there like, what is, you know, what's going on? Um, I think there was a, there was more of a familiarity with Chase Oliver, the libertarian in the Senate race than there was with Shane, even though he's run for Congress in the past. 
Um, so no one was quite sure what to expect, but certainly we didn't necessarily expect an interjection every couple of minutes. That said, I think there are still a lot of important policies that we, got, we were able to discuss. And let's talk about guns. Yes. Yes. Well, because one of Governor Kemp's very first issues that he introduced this legislative session was what they call constitutional carry. That is the new law that eliminates the requirement to carry a permit, to get a permit to carry a concealed firearm here in Georgia. That is a policy that we know from our own polling at the AJC is broadly unpopular. Georgians think that that is just a step too far. I don't think people are out there saying, oh, you you know, we need to be confiscating everybody's guns. But the idea that you don't need a permit to carry a weapon Um, getting that permit is one of the ways every five years that you can make sure that somebody is compliance with the laws. Right now, it doesn't change who's legal. It doesn't change where they can carry it. It doesn't eliminate the requirement for a federal background check on most but not all purchases. Um, But it is a law that uh, Kemp pushed hard, pushed early, did it for the conservative base when he was running for that primary against David Perdue. And now in the light of day during a general election, uh, it's something that Stacey Abrams really does see as a huge vulnerability. I would say it feels like one of those issues that is really driven by events. It is something that voters know how they feel about this issue, but they feel about it a lot more strongly if there has been a mass shooting or a school shooting or something that just pushes that issue into the very forefront of their minds. And they start having conversations with their kids about these kinds of things. It's so, so difficult, but we haven't really been in that space for a while, thank goodness. And so it's an issue that doesn't seem quite as salient as it did even six months ago, certainly a year ago when we had those, um, when we had the really horrible shootings of um, of the Asian spa shooting. So it's something that Abrams tried to push him on, uh, wants to push him on, and uh, did in this context. Let's listen to that audio. Street gangs did not shoot six Asian women going into a gun store, getting a weapon, and murdering women in less than an hour. Street gangs aren't the reason people are getting shot in grocery stores and in parking lots and at schools. Street gangs are one part of the problem, but we have a governor who has weakened gun laws across this state, flooded our streets with guns by letting dangerous people get access to those weapons. Georgia does not have a waiting period. We do not have universal background checks. And one of the few permits that we had that was helping keep us safe stopped 5,000 people who should not have had weapons from getting them got weakened by this governor with his criminal carry law. Something else that Brian Kemp has said is that the fastest growing segment of people buying guns here in Georgia are women and black Georgians. And so that's his point to say, listen, this may not be uh, popular among the Democratic base, but guess who is buying these guns? It's the Democratic base. Stacey Abrams' retort is, and guess what? It's because they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe because of all of these shootings. But uh, Governor Kemp, along with the economy, we know that public safety is really his second issue that he is pushing. And he did push that here in this debate. And even on the issue of guns and gun safety, he said the fastest way to reduce gun crimes is to put criminals who are committing gun crimes in jail. And so he then pivoted to point to Stacey Abrams as somebody who he said is not as hard on crime as he is and who wants to end cash bail and pushing forward a number of these policies that I think she um, has some quibbles with and felt like he was misrepresenting her. On several occasions, she said, you know, you are lying about me so much. I almost think that you think it's the truth, but it's not. He also said that she was going to work all night to misrepresent his record. So that, I think they both were trying to muddy up the water a little bit 
on that. Um, but on the issue of guns in particular, they both came out and made, made their own cases. And I think this is another example. These are two really different candidates with two really different sets of policies. And Georgians have a very clear, distinct choice to make between these two candidates. And as the, you know, sort of as the point was made by Chuck Williams at the beginning of the debate, Stacey Abrams on a lot of these issues, the voters are with her on the issues. The question is, can she get them with her on the ballot? Let's listen. The reason people are on my side are because it's because I'm on the right side of history and on the right side of the issues. But we also know that polls are a snapshot. The question is, who are they taking a picture of? When I'm going across this state, the people I'm talking to are excited about this election. And before we wind down this show, let's, let's give another mention to Shane Hazel, who will not be participating in, as far as we know, in the WSB debate, which will be in a couple more weeks, because he's only about 1% in the polls, and the WSB doesn't often include candidates who are pulling that low. As we mentioned, he interrupted and interjected, made himself a presence throughout the debate, even when he was not called on. This was one of those moments. Our great men and women in law enforcement are, are making drug burst bust, not from recreational use. It's a plant. Other things. Patricia, this might be it's our a plant. <laughs> this, might, this might be our new <laughs> open show opener for every, Anytime I say something stupid, we might just like, it's a plant. <laughs> or a prank call. Yeah, that, that would be our signifier for when my daughter or someone else pranks us. It's a plan. <laughs> That's a good one, Shane. Well, uh, look, you can listen to the entire Atlanta Press Club gubernatorial debate because there were some very good moments, especially some good exchanges between Governor Camp Stacey Abrams um, about significant policy issues. I will say um, that both Democrat and Republican left feeling very confident as governor left, he was asked whether or not he wanted to join the spin room upstairs. There's about 40 reporters, as you mentioned, waiting. He said, winners don't spin. <laughs> and so that was that was his response. Stacey Abrams, Lauren Groworger, her campaign manager, were quite happy with the way the debate went. As we walked upstairs, who was in the spin room? Shane, Shane Hazel. Hazel. And as I was leaving... I guess there was a few questions and he, he was asking for another question and no one raised their hand, none of the reporters. <laughs> and so he just said, he always just keep on talking. So he is enjoying his moment in the sun. And making and, the case for the libertarians. I know they appreciate it. Or as our AJC Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell tweeted, the libertarian running for Georgia governor, Mr. Hazel, is making the case for why third party long shot candidates are usually not invited to debates with major party candidates. That is all the time for our show today. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Let us hear from you. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday every Friday or whenever special news breaks. Like tonight. Tonight. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. 
Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.